Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. All right, well, I want to introduce this morning to you Jake Saylor. Jake's going to preach for us. Chad Jones preached in the first two services, and Jake is going to preach in this one. Um, Sorry, I can't get the stand off my foot. Step over here. Uh, Chad and Jake are both interns with us this year, have been doing a great job. Usually you see them running around taking care of business outside of this room. Both of these young men have a call from God uh, to teach and to to preach the word and to make disciples. And so we as a church are trying to just cultivate the call of God in their life and the skills and the abilities that he has given to them. We're excited for this time and we're hopeful just for the ways that God is going to use them and our opportunity to invest in their life while they are with us. I want to pray for Jake and then we'll move forward. God, thank you for Jake. I thank you for his life. I thank you for the work that he's put in on this message. I pray that you'd use him today as an instrument of your love, of your peace, and of your truth. And I pray that you'll just calm his his spirit, Lord, give a focus to his mind and to his tongue. and, And Lord, may every word that he speaks come directly from you. Bless us. May we pray and lift him up. But may the words that you speak through him today speak deeply to our hearts and point us in our eyes to trust in you ever more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Life Point. I just want to say what an honor and a privilege it is to be here. Um, and I want to extend a special thank you to Pastor Lane and you, the church, for giving me this opportunity. This morning, we'll be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Matthew records, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. In this passage, Christ does a couple of things for us. He starts by giving us this rule in which we're told is the summation of the law and the prophets, followed by a response that we can make in light of this rule. And then he's going to give us a command on how we should respond. And the main point that we can gather from these verses is this. Christians must forsake our self-righteous tendencies and treat others as Christ has treated us. In November of 2017, I was elected the president of my fraternity I'm in at Missouri State. And about a month and a half later, I was saved by Christ. And so at the start of the spring semester, I was trying to balance what it was like to walk and grow in a relationship with God while also acting as the face of a secular fraternity. Needless to say, it presented a lot of challenges. You see, presidents of fraternities in general aren't the most well-liked guys. After all, they're the ones that enforce rules. And presidents who love the Lord, well, good luck. (laughs) And it seemed that no matter the decision I made, even though it was for the betterment of the fraternity, received pushback. I was constantly criticized for my relationship with God. I was made fun of for not going out. 
And no matter how hard I worked, I never got the appreciation that I wanted. Each day I was faced with the urge to yell back at somebody or to act simply out of frustration. And I was often faced the question, why am I trying so hard when nobody appreciates it? Today as Christians, we'll learn that we must forsake these tendencies to treat people as we want, but to instead treat them as we've been treated by Christ. And this text will give us three steps in order to do so. And the first step is this, we must understand the golden rule. The golden rule, which begins in verse 12, states, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And as we address this probably very familiar rule, I want to spend some moments to consider why we must understand it. The golden rule ends with the phrase, for this is the law and the prophets. And it sounds all fancy and complicated, but really it's just telling us that the entirety of the law and the prophets can be summed up with this. That the Old Testament is actually just teaching to treat others as we wish to be treated. And by treating others as we wish, we find that we don't lash out in retaliation. We don't lust after others, or we don't make promises or oaths that we don't intend to keep. But instead, we treat people with love and with respect. And so already, we can see the importance of this rule. It bears the weight of 39 divinely inspired books. The golden rule helps us see the essence of what God and his law are calling us to. And like the golden rule, this is something that the hearers of the sermon would have heard before. John R.W. Stott, in his commentary on the Sermon of the Mount, retells a story of a Jewish rabbi who was asked to summarize the law about 20 years before the birth of Jesus. The rabbi responded, what is hateful to you, do not do to others. Today, this is what we would call the silver rule. And to the people at this time, this was the rule that they were familiar with. You see, there was many teachers and philosophers and even other religions that taught this rule. Confucius, a Chinese philosopher, taught the silver rule of don't do to others what you wouldn't want done to yourself. And so to the people at the time that Jesus is speaking to, they were familiar with this silver rule. But Jesus comes in here and goes, silver? No, we need the golden rule. It's the actual standard to living in which my law requires. You see, adherence of the law of God does not come from the silver rule, but the golden. And now this begs a question. What's the difference between the silver rule and the golden rule? Well, let me illustrate it this way. How many of you in here have kids? And how many of you, as a parent, have the one goal that if you could teach your kid to be anything in the world, you would teach them to not be hateful? Like, if you were to get a report card back from your child's teacher, the one thing you would want it to read is that your child isn't hateful. Like, I wouldn't say that he's nice. He doesn't really like to share. But he hasn't bitten anybody. Some of you are like, yes, that, that is what we want. But no, you don't raise a kid to not be hateful. You raise him to be loving and kind and respectful. You want a report card that says, model student, or I wish every kid was as nice as yours. And that's what Jesus is calling for too. He's telling us that the law and the prophets don't tell us to be not hateful. 
They tell us to love. So do you see how Jesus is calling for a greater righteousness? Though we have a tendency to follow the silver rule, Jesus calls us to live by the golden. And as we understand our greater need of a righteousness, we immediately see our lack of it. You see, the golden rule simply can't be completed by ourselves alone. Biblically, we know this. Romans 3 alone tells that no one is righteous, no, not one. And that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But experientially, you know this to be true as well. Think of all the times that you failed to treat somebody the way that you wish to be treated. Maybe you were driving here this morning and somebody cut you off on 65, so you lost your cool with them. Or maybe you stopped serving your friends recently because you never heard them say thank you. And when it comes to the golden rule, we tend to find the first part easy, right? So whatever you wish to others, do, so whatever you wish to others, do to you. And I'm sure we have predetermined expectations of how we wish that other people have treated us. And so for the sake of demonstration, I've made a list of three ways I wish I were treated. Number one, I wish people always respected me. Number two, I wish people always chose my ideas. Number three, I wish people always listened to me. And when I say these out loud, they seem crazy, right? Like, obviously, not everybody's going to give me the respect I want. And obviously, not everybody's going to choose my ideas every single time. And it's obvious to sit back and say that these list is crazy and unrealistic. But what if I ask these questions instead? Do I get frustrated when someone doesn't take me seriously? Do I get upset when my boss chooses my coworkers' ideas over my own? Or do I get mad when people interrupt me? And see, when we ask those questions instead, reality sets in. I feel like a lot of us have high expectations for how we wish to be treated. And the problem isn't necessarily these expectations. The problem is our ability to meet these expectations to others. See, it's the second half of the golden rule that simply can't be completed by ourselves, due also to them. Them being everybody, your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, your boss, the guy that's in front of you at Walmart, or the man that's on the side of the road, due also to them, not once, not once a week, but all the time. Treat them with respect, listen to them unconditionally. Whatever is on your list of wishes, that's what you are to do to others. Philippians 2 through 3 teaches, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We must deny our self-righteous tendencies that tell us to put ourselves first or even modify our list of wishes so we don't have to do as much to others. And when we look back on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this is exactly what he's taught us. Each mini lesson can be wrapped up here. And by fully understanding what the golden rule calls for, we can get a clear picture of how deeply we need Jesus' righteousness in place of our own. And as we can come to this realization, immediately, we find hope. Our hope 
lies in Jesus. Just as we're so unable to complete the golden rule, Jesus Christ has conquered it. Biblically, again, we know this. In Matthew chapter 5, just two chapters prior, Christ states, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the golden rule. He tells us he is. But you know this experientially as well. Think of all the times that Christ has shown you his love or his grace or his mercy when you didn't deserve it. When I look at the list that I created alone, I can see how perfectly Jesus has treated me. He's always there, listening unconditionally, loving me relentlessly. But God chose his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait for you to get your life together to save you. He didn't make sure you needed to change your appearance. But while you were in the midst of your sin, that's when our Lord laid down his life for you. God saw you at your worst, and then he sent his son. You didn't deserve it, but he gave it. And if you're with us here this morning and didn't know what Jesus has done for you, he's offering this to you today. He's taken your inability to treat others as you wish, your shame, your sin, and put them on his shoulders. He's taken them to the cross and he died for them. Your debt has been paid. And he's standing at your door knocking today. But will you let him in? And Jesus, he continues to provide for us today. We as Christians can be so certain that no, no matter how much we miss the mark, God's love never fails. Jesus in his perfect righteousness has treated us perfectly, loved us so completely, and that leaves us with a twofold response. Which brings us to our second step, which is this. We must understand the response. And so beginning at verse 13, we read, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Based on how perfectly our Savior has loved and treated us, we are left with a choice on how that affects how we treat other people. And that brings us back to our main point. Christians must forsake our self-righteous tendencies to treat others as Christ has treated us. And based on that sentence alone, we see our two choices, either choosing our self-righteousness or choosing Jesus' holy righteousness. And we look back on verse 13 and 14, we again find two options, a wide gate and a narrow gate. But which is which? And what do these gates mean? The wide gate that Jesus speaks of is simply the path marked by our self-proclaimed righteousness. The wide gate is chosen when we, in light of the golden rule, choose to treat others however we want. There's no rules when you're on the wide gate. That's why Jesus tells us it's wide, the way is easy, and there's many on it. If somebody yells at you, yell back at them. If you're disrespected, disrespect them right back. Treat others however you want to. But the narrow gate, on the other hand, is the opposite. It's marked by the perfect and holy righteousness of Jesus. 
John 14, 6 records Christ speaking, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the destination. Jesus is the narrow gate. For us, that means to take what he's done for us on the cross and treat others with that same love. The narrow gate is a denying of our tendency to treat others how we want, but to instead treat them as we have perfectly been treated. And I think it's crazy that sometimes we determine how to treat somebody based on what they've just done to us, right? Like if we're yelled at, we'll yell back. But if we're loved, we'll love back. If the waitress was good, we'll tip 25%. But if she didn't meet our standards, well, we'll tip barely anything, if anything at all. So many times, even as Christians, we wait to do to others until they do something for us. But your righteousness is not the answer. Only Jesus is. Though we may wait to act towards someone, Christ has already acted towards us. 1 John 4.19 teaches we love because he first loved us. Just as Christ has treated us, that's how we're to treat others. That is the narrow gate. We take what Christ has done for us on the cross, and that works through us to empower us to treat others how he has treated us. And since Jesus is our perfect example, we can look at his life to see how did he treat people. If we read the Gospels, we find that he takes 12 outcasts and calls them his disciples. He touches the untouchable lepers. He gives freely to the poor and the needy. And Jesus even calls Judas his friend as he's being betrayed by him. Think about that one for a second. Have you ever had a friend that's gone behind your back in something? How did you respond? As Judas was in the act of betraying Jesus, Jesus, by his grace, could look upon him and call him friend. I don't know about you, but I've been made fun of and called names and disrespected, but I've never been handed over to an empire to be killed for a handful of silver. But in that situation, Jesus was able to call Judas his friend. You see, he doesn't treat people how they deserve to be treated. Jesus treats people as he wishes to be treated. No matter the circumstance or no matter what people have done to you, the narrow gate is to treat people as Jesus has treated you. And just as Christ has given us two choices that we can choose to live by, he also tells us where each of them lead. For the wide gate leads to destruction and the narrow to life. Jesus is telling us here that whether or not we forsake our self-proclaimed righteousness and put our faith in Jesus is going to dictate where we spend eternity. He says, yes, you can choose to people, you can choose to treat people as you want to. You can choose to believe that you just have to be good enough. But really what you're doing is traveling down a path towards hell. Sure, it's easy to give people the cold shoulder, to yell at them, to treat them as you want to, but look where it leads. Or press into Jesus. 
you know that you can't fulfill the golden rule. Only he has. So press into Christ to treat others as he has treated you. It's not easy. It's a daily battle. But look where it leads. A glorious eternity with our Savior. So take the time and look at your life. Have you made the decision to let Jesus become the Lord of it? Have you traded your self-proclaimed righteousness for Jesus? And does that make you treat people with the same compassion, mercy, and grace that he's treated you with? And our third step can be made after we have a clear understanding of both the golden rule and the two choices that we have in response to it. And the third step is this. We must choose Jesus, the narrow gate. If we look back at the start of verse 13, Jesus commands, enter by the narrow gate. Life point, he's calling us to him. And as we look into the narrow gate in verse 14, we learn a couple of things for how our life through Christ should look. And in verse 14, Jesus is being upfront with us here. He's not trying to hide the fact that following him through the narrow gate is going to be hard. Because if we look at his life, we can see this, right? Like he's treated everybody perfectly, but look how he ended up. He was crucified. And that's precisely why he tells us in Luke 9, 23, that whoever would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The narrow gate is hard because we must deny ourselves. We can't treat others the way that we wish to be treated if we don't. We must overcome the temptation to lash out at people or to treat them as they deserve. And only by denying ourselves and our desire to sin can we follow Jesus' example. We must also take up our cross daily. Paul writes in Philippians 3 that we must share in Christ's sufferings, becoming like him in his death, in order to attain the resurrection from dead. The Bible teaches that Christians will be persecuted, that we will suffer, that life as a follower of Christ on earth won't always be easy. But the reward and our God is so worth it. So the next time your boss yells at you, or the next time you overhear a snide remark from a coworker, remember what Jesus has done for you, deny yourself, take up your cross, and treat that person with love. Continuing in verse 14, we also read that we must find the narrow gate. The wide gate is easy. We're all naturally bent to flow into it as if we're floating down a river. But Christ teaches those who find the narrow gate are few. So how do we find the narrow gate, right? Well, the Bible tells us to seek it. We just read last week, Matthew 7, 7, where Christ tells us, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find. Both the wide and the narrow gate exist, but we must actively seek the narrow gate. Jeremiah 29, 13 teaches, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. There's nothing half-hearted about denying yourself and sharing in Christ's sufferings to follow him. 
We have to be dedicated. We must believe that the narrow path really is the way to life. You will find God if you seek him, but you must seek him with everything you have. And when it comes down to it, in order to seek something that you know is going to be hard, you must believe that it's worth it. Following the narrow gate leads to life, an eternity with our Lord spent in heaven. Being president of my fraternity was hard. But the reason that I could endure all the slander and the unappreciation was because I remembered the love that Christ has for me. And since I knew the joy that Christ had given to me, I wanted to share that with my brothers. And by treating them as he has treated me, I was able to practically share the love of Christ with them. You see, when we interact with somebody, we either point them to Jesus or point them away from him. And as ambassadors of Christ, we must deny our tendencies to treat people how we want, but to treat them as we've been treated. To do that, we must understand what the golden rule has called for. We must understand our two possible responses, and we must choose Jesus. He is the narrow gate. Christians must forsake our self-righteous tendencies to treat others as Christ has treated us. Let's pray.